everyone. It's Gloria. Welcome to season three, episode three of Misf Independent. Have you ever thought to yourself, how the heck can I afford to live in this major metropolitan city because rent is so darn expensive? Yeah, me too. Co-living is one of the responses to the housing crisis faced in many major metropolitan cities across the U.S. and internationally. Today, I'm joined by Derek Baker, and we will be talking about the co-living movement, what it is, what it offers, and how to go about looking for a place that is potentially right for you. Hope you enjoy. I am here today with Derek Baker, who is 32 years old and lives in Austin, Texas. He has a background as an internet entrepreneur and investor. He retired early at the age of 25 and lives off of his investment income, which is awesome. His current projects use personal finance and co-living to help people live a location-independent lifestyle and reach their financial independence. Today's topic is co-living. I was talking to Derek about co-living and it really sparked some interest in me because I was like, this is awesome. You can live affordably in a major city and also be able to meet different types of people. And this is kind of like an end to urban loneliness, so it seems. But before we get into that, Derek, why don't you just give me a brief overview of what this co-living movement is? Thanks for having me, Gloria. Happy to be here and uh, always happy to talk about co-living. So I discovered co-living around 2015 And it takes on many forms. In the most basic sense, it's sharing a place that you're living in with other people. And by doing that, uh, you're able to do it more affordably. So there's a more professional version of co-living that's coming about in large urban cities that allows you to live on a very flexible and uh, affordable lease of just one to three months. And you know, there's plenty of choices that are available for you to live in co-living. So for someone that's looking to live more affordably in the current city they live in or you know, move to another city that they view as unaffordable, this is a way to be able to relocate yourself in the place that you live or relocate yourself to another place and you know, be able to live more affordably and live in community with other people. So it kind of combines a combination of, for those that are familiar with hostels, more of a longer term version of a hostel with the social atmosphere. So do I have to share a room or are there private room options usually? So the place that you're living in is shared in terms of the common area, such as the kitchen, the restroom, those types of things. But you have a choice of living in a private room by yourself or uh, sharing a room with others. And there's just a difference in cost from doing that. And so it's kind of just like living with a bunch of roommates or like living in a dorm. It'd be similar to that, except the co-living spaces are built with more of a, a community in mind and it's open to all people. You don't have to be a student to live there. That's interesting. And I was doing some research on these different co-living spaces. And it seems like some of these places are quite high-end in terms of their furnishings. It's all pretty swanky looking. So I guess that's another difference between these co-living spaces now and living in a dorm, which is pretty basic, bare bones. Yeah, exactly. I've never lived in a dorm, so I can't comment exactly. But uh, it is, I guess, a similar 
set up for the shared living idea as a dorm. And you're also living there on a more flexible lease. So having just the ability to live there on just a one month or uh, in some cases, a three month minimum lease. And there's other benefits that are included. So I'll go through those, Gloria. You have a traditional lease, but in some cases they will require just half a deposit or even waive the deposit. So it's, it's much more tenant friendly in a lot of these benefits. It's fully furnished, you know, including utilities, internet included. They include cleaning, basic supplies for cooking and eating, even bedding. And you're able to kind of utilize all the common area to your benefit. So in some of these higher end co-living spaces, they'll have a gym or they'll have different, uh, they might even have computers that you could use for work. They'll have a patio or rooftop for, you know, socialization or kind of relaxation. And uh, they might even, uh, in some cases I could think of, have a, you know, a pool or, you know, different amenities. Like, so it's, it's in some ways uh, comparable to a luxury apartment, especially at the more private bedroom end of it. And, uh, you know, you're kind of getting access to more luxury amenities because you're sharing them with a large group of people. And, uh, you know, you're just kind of giving up a little bit of space to do that. So I mentioned that I've heard about this back in 2015. And that was in Seattle. There's this idea called micro apartments. And uh, it's similar to co-living. It's everybody has their own private room and you share the common area. So they're just small living spaces, uh, I would say around two, 300 square feet. And, you know, you, you'll share the common area for cooking and, uh, you know, entertainment and uh, those sorts of things. How many people would be sharing one common area? It would be everybody that's living there would be sharing the common area. But these are typically much larger. They're large multifamily buildings. So there'll be thousands and thousands of square feet. Uh, in the urban cities. So you'll usually have a, a, you know, a decent amount of room in the ones that I'm thinking of, but it all depends. So that's why you want to do due diligence when you're looking into a co-living space to see what type of, you know, access you have to the building, how much space you have outside of the room that you're living in, even what type of storage space you have. There's, there's so many questions that you'll want to ask to see which one's the best fit for you. Mm-hmm. What kind of person is this kind of living tailored for? Well, they're tailored to all types of people, but definitely people that are younger gravitate toward them and like the idea of not having to have, you know, really any any possessions when they're living there. Just being able to move in and have flexibility and kind of the lower rent, uh, you know, allows them to build some savings while they're living there. So the couple of, I guess, targets that I've identified would be more flexible and remote workers. So anybody that can work from home. One of the cool things about co-living is they usually have a co-working space inside of the co-living space. So you can do, you can co-work inside of there. Uh, so yeah, flexible remote workers, digital nomads is another one. So that's kind of where I'm transitioning into is a more nomadic life. Definitely students, um, you know, just comparing it with dorms, young professionals, you know, again, you know, you might have a lower income when you're starting out and looking to build savings. And, you know, this is definitely... Uh, especially in the shared uh, model of it, you know, a, a much lower price point than, you know, other rental options in, in these larger urban cities um, from from the uh, research that I've done. Uh, of course, you could do traditional, you know, just get a couple of roommates and share it with them. So other people, I think that this is moving toward targeting or definitely a demographic that, 
you know, will be really big in, in co-living in the future is, is seniors. Definitely the loneliness part and them looking to downsize and, you know, just have, you know, access to lots of amenities. Or they already have some of these co-living companies are building brands toward families and brands toward seniors and brands toward all different types of, you know, different living situations, uh, you know, to have those groups of people, you know, be able to potentially, uh, you know, live amongst each other and be able to uh, have those things in common in their life. Right. There are a few restrictions that some of these spaces have that I've noted that I guess for some of the listeners, this will sound like a bummer, but uh, they don't allow pets in in most of the co-living spaces. If they do, you know, they'll charge you a little extra. You can find co-living spaces or, you know, people that are doing more of a, what's called a house hacking where they're renting out their house with co-living type principles. And they would, you know, probably be able to let you have a pet there and you'd just be living with other people in a similar situation. Uh, so the other thing is um, children or, you know, people that aren't, uh, you know, an adult yet usually aren't allowed to live in the co-living spaces. So usually it's, it's just adults only. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about your co-living experience in Omaha. So I moved from Michigan to Las Vegas after I graduated college. So this was back in 2015. At that point, on my own for the first time, uh, moved out from my dad's place, started renting on my own. And, you know, I didn't know if I wanted to stay in Las Vegas. I was out on the West Coast for the first time and, uh, you know, was looking into Seattle and uh, Portland and uh, L.A. and San Francisco as potentially places that I could move to. At the time, I was working on a startup, so I was really interested in living with that like-minded group of people. So while I was looking in San Francisco, I was mainly using Craigslist. Uh, Someone had posted an ad, uh, the owner of a um, co-living space in Omaha, you know, in San Francisco on the Craigslist. He posted an ad and I, you know, was interested in living there. So how it worked is it was a six-month lease and uh, he had rented a, a mansion really large mansion. I think it was about 10,000 square feet, had, I think, 12 bedrooms in the house and then another maybe four or five in this carriage house. And yeah, he was renting the whole the whole place out by the bed, had a couple of couples living there. And uh, he kind of had a combination of some locals and, you know, some out of states that were living there. So I just liked the idea of living in a startup type environment at the time. And focusing on the project that I was working on and kind of being around other people that were doing the same thing. So I took up, took the offer and moved out there. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot from the experience and, uh, you know, about, about kind of what I like and dislike about shared living and how I could be kind of a better uh, roommate uh, in shared living. So uh, after I was done with my six month lease, I moved back to Las Vegas and I haven't done anything with co-living since then. Um, but I have in my life tried to start working toward potentially investing in real estate myself and, uh, and buying a property that I could rent out by the room to allow other people to have affordability um, and kind of create a more positive social environment, you know, kind of have community in my life more full time. So I'm going to try living next year in uh, co-living you know, more for the first time, you know, in multiple co-living spaces. So the idea is to try it out on a a one month lease, uh, to try out a couple of co-living spaces in LA. And then in Chicago, they have a three month lease. So I'm just at one place, but I'm really happy with the place I found. It's really luxurious and nice. 
And then in uh, New York, I'm going to probably just be on a two-month lease at one place. But New York, I, I'm just happy to be in New York. If I'm in Queens or Brooklyn or even Manhattan, it doesn't matter to me. I'm happy to be there. I love New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. I was actually looking into some Brooklyn, Williamsburg specifically, co-living spaces, and they were around 1.3K per month, which I personally think is quite expensive for shared living space. But then I saw studios in the same area for like $2,000 a month. So I can see the benefit in this. There's definitely a lot of savings involved. Although I was looking in Toronto and it doesn't seem like there's much of a co-living setup yet, at least with companies that are doing this. There's people who are renting out rooms like in their condo with co-living principles, but it's not really a commercialized situation in Toronto yet. But I'm sure it's coming there. Uh, I know from kind of talking to people in the industry that it's rapidly expanding and most of the apartment developments that are being built, they're considering a co-living component on them, at least in the USA, expanding to, to all cities pretty quickly. So how would that look like? They would build kind of larger, like an entire floor and then have bedrooms and then like a large kitchen, bathrooms. Yeah. So there's one that I can think of. Think of it like you'd have different options. So you could run a traditional apartment or have more of a co-living setup where you have more shared space. So they have a few floors that are dedicated to co-living, and then the rest might just be traditional apartment. That's really interesting. And I can see the benefit in that as well, because then you have the amenities that can be accessed by all residents, but certain people can pay less to have access for those things as well through co-living. You know, you can move into a co-living space and instantly have you know, a lot more savings. So that's why I'm going on and trying to tell, you know, people that are working toward their financial independence about this, because this is a great way. If you fit some of those demographics where, for instance, you're able to work from home or you have, you know, a very flexible job, you could live in any, you know, U.S. US city that has co-living, be able to, you know, work from home or be able to, you know, just kind of a you know, have a very flexible situation where you could be there for a few months. You don't have to commit to, you know, a full year lease and you can live in multiple cities and do this. So that's the appeal to me going forward is that I can live in a few U.S. cities and then have a trip abroad as well, where I'm living in a co-living space uh, abroad. It's really big in Europe, getting really big in Asia too. So, so the largest countries for co-living, you know, are China and India right now. So there's just huge appetite for the younger population out there that traditionally live with family to want to have, you know, more of a, you know, place of their own and kind of have the social environment. And, uh, you know, they're able to include some different benefits they don't include in the U.S. If you're looking to kind of have a more uh, geo-arbitrage lifestyle, the price of living abroad, something that I'm interested in myself to go to a place like India, you know, is four or $500 for some of the nicest places you could stay at. Uh, you know, it's just really, really, really affordable in, in some of these, you know, more uh, developing countries. And that's in the most urban cities mm-hmm. and on a flexible lease. So I'm really interested in trying it out. And, you know, a, a city that I would never think I could afford to live in like London or, you know, Paris, you know, you could find co-living spaces if you're looking to travel more longer term and be able to stay for a few months in those places. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that definitely a lot of people are leaning towards this because A, work is becoming more and more remote. And so people are leaning into that and they're able to go to different places and travel around while they work. So they're not really tied to a certain place because I think in the past, a lot of people have been like, I need to live here because of my job. But now that is becoming less and less of the case, which is awesome. Yeah, no doubt. I've, I've heard, you know, that the pandemic here with COVID has kind of expedited the transition to working from home by years and years and years. Companies that would have never thought of doing it are doing it. Mm-hmm. They're seeing that it's possible. More, more that they had to do it, but now they're extending those benefits and saying, you know, if you want to stay working from home, you can keep doing that. They're seeing that the productivity really isn't changing a lot, or maybe they're even more productive working from home. So it's kind of causing people to have more leverage in their life, I think, to be able to potentially negotiate, to be able to be more remote or, you know, have a few months a year where they are living remote. Definitely, if you tap into the, you know, digital nomad community on Instagram and other places online, you'll see so many people that are doing that and kind of traveling around the world and living this really flexible and exciting lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that all sounds really great. What are some of the downsides to co-living potentially? The main downside, at least in COVID times, is that you're living with this large group of people that you don't know. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, concerns that I have, you know, about how you know, respectful they'll be to everyone else's health and those sorts of things. But they do clean the spaces frequently, which is a positive. Oh, really? So they would have cleaners come in to clean the communal spaces? Yeah, that's one of the benefits is that they have, in some cases, as frequent as weekly cleanings. Unlike living in, say, a a shared house or something where you're just with a, a bunch of your friends, you know, You'll have problems with cleaning the dishes and everybody will have to do their own chores. Yeah, and you have to tell them to clean. You have to tell them to do the dishes. In this case, you know, you don't have to worry about that. You still have the landlord above you. If you have any problems, you need any help. And you're all on individual leases. I think that was a question you're asking me a lot about, Gloria, is like, how does this compare to a typical roommate situation? Is if your roommates, you know, skip out on rent, you have to end up paying for it if one of them moves out in co-living. You're all in your own leases and it's up to you to pay your rent and everybody else is on their own rent. Mm -hmm. So one of the drawbacks definitely is having the space shared with a number of people. Storage, if you have a lot of possessions, I don't think that there really is that much storage that's available to you in co-living spaces. You know, you might have enough to bring, uh, say, a large luggage size and they might give you room in a closet or somewhere else that you can put your stuff But the benefit is that generally they're including everything that you would normally bring with you. So, you know, you'll have a bed, you'll have, you know, all these amenities and, you know, you'll have, uh, you know, pots and pans. You'll have, you know, some basic items potentially in the fridge, you know, that are even stocked in the fridge for you to use. So it's sharing is kind of the name of it. Some of these clothing spaces include bikes that you can use. They're trying to make it as, you know, more tap into the sharing economy as much as possible and make it so you don't need a lot of stuff. I just think that could be kind of a cool evolution of these types of people that are living their own life nomadically can kind of have more of a purposeful nomadic existence, I guess, because hostels and more of the typical traveling lifestyle is is definitely more transient. uh, And this is more, uh, you know, a little more longer term with the longer term leases. 
What are your thoughts on co-living spaces that are personally owned by a person versus a corporation? Because you know how you mentioned that you're thinking of maybe investing in real estate. Instead of dealing with a large company that's, that's you know, funded by investors, you, you might just be dealing with, you know, a person that might own just one property and is just renting out, you know, small amount of their space, you know, to you, but flexibly. Uh, so in my case, me looking to do it, some of the benefits from my side is that it's, it ends up being a, you know, higher return investment by renting out the room. And I'm able to provide more of an affordable living situation for those people that are living there uh, for the price per bedroom and include all these other amenities similar to these co-living spaces. Uh, but the main drawbacks is it's just way, way more work on the person that's running the property and a lot, a lot more, you know, things that they have to do in terms of managing multiple people on multiple leases and, you know, trying to kind of curate that experience so that they find the right residence. That's the hardest part. And that these larger companies have a little more leverage to do more, more advertising or more professional marketing. So rather than just posting on different shared room advertising boards like Facebook or Craigslist, and they're just, they're just flat out able to build nicer spaces. So as you were saying, you know, kind of the more luxury amenities that they're able to have, you know, somebody that's doing this, uh, you know, at a smaller scale, you know, isn't probably going to be able to compete with them on, you know, that uh, on those amenities and especially with the locations they're able to have their co-living spaces in. So for instance, there's a company that I could think of in New York City that I was looking at called Shared Easy. And they have probably, I would say 10 spaces that were available, you know, in the different boroughs in New York to live in that I could choose from. You can think of another instance where the roommates actually have to approve of the person that they're living with and they have a certain amount of time to kind of interview that person and see if they think they're a good fit to live with and stuff. So uh, they definitely care about the residents uh, and trying to make this more of a pro-tenant or pro-resident uh, experience. And I'll know more when I live there, you know, if that, if that is the truth. And that's why I'm documenting this uh, as a project. You know, I can share the experience of other residents that are living there and kind of get to know why they decided to live in a co-living space and uh, kind of just talk about what it's like in covid and the main thing, I guess, that, that we haven't mentioned yet that is uh, one of the reasons I'm doing this is I'm doing it on a budget of $1,000 a month. That's all my expenses included living in these major, large urban cities. So New York, Chicago, L.A., uh, I'm trying to do that on 1200 a month. And for the whole year, my average to be 1000 a month for all my living expenses, counting, visiting friends and family when I'm between these spaces. That's crazy. So you're going to have to find some really cheap places, I guess. Yeah. So that's why I've had to do the research on these co-living spaces and had to gravitate more toward the shared living. And what does the shared living look like? Is it kind of like a hostel room with like bunk beds type of thing? Yes, yeah. So uh, yeah, it would be it would be more like a hostel dorm and set up. Some, sometimes they're more custom built, say pods. If if any of the listeners are familiar with the Japanese pods, mm-hmm. uh, which are which are completely they're like capsules that you that you live that in you and just sleep, sleep in. in. Yeah. Uh, which some people just hate that and they trash co living for having that as an option. But LA is a kind of a unique market for co-living, an experimental market. And they have these just really large co-living spaces where there are up to 100 people living together. 
And yeah, you're, if you're going to live in a space, you know, with a large group of people, this is multiple kind of combined living spaces that are shared amongst each other. Say like, if you think of like three different townhomes next to each other in one case, so they're taking spaces that and adding extra living space by, by having smaller footprint for the, you know, people that are living in the shared spaces and they're able to bring down the, the rents, you know, because of that. There could be an argument made that the rents could be lower even. At least I, I feel they could. But the lowest co-living space out in L.A. is about six fifty a it's month. pretty cheap, which yeah. Is, which is really good. And if you get a longer-term lease, you're going to pay a little less uh, in most cases. So the idea, I guess the idea of co-living is that you don't really sit in your bed all day or sit in your bedroom. You're more in the common area and more potentially outside of the house. So you're more using the amenities They are trying to make it more for somebody that I guess doesn't necessarily feel that they need a lot of space. And I'll stress that as a minimalist, I like that people can pare down their life more and live more simply. Yeah. Um, You know, so for me, somebody that kind of went through a transition of when I moved out to Las Vegas, uh, I, I moved out with two suitcases, didn't have any furniture. So every time I moved into apartments or shared living spaces on my own, I was looking for furnished or fully furnished places because I didn't, I didn't know how long I was going to be there. I didn't want to have to, you know, run a truck and move everything. And I was more on flexible leases of a, you know, month to month contracts. So, like if you're actively looking to rent somewhere, you know, it's good to look and see if their option is available for co-living. But if you're, you know, looking to more, I guess, make a big transition in your life, you know, and live in another place for a longer period or for, you know, a few months a year, like I'm doing that, then it's kind of a whole different conversation, I guess. So, you know, it's much easier, like, you know, to move, I guess, in the city that you're living in, because you're really comfortable with that environment, but moving to a whole new city, or in my case, living in a few cities in a year, you, know, you gotta, I guess, do a lot more due diligence and try to really figure out if that location and that space is really the right one for you. Because as you mentioned, you know, these are, you're, you're committing to a longer you know, term that you're living with a group of people that you don't know. And, you know, you just want to make sure that it ends up either, you know, you can get out of it if it doesn't work or, you know, stay there longer if it does. So one other thing I'll mention is that with it being shared living, I guess is, is a little bit, you know, people are a little resistant to that right now because everybody wants to keep their distance and, you know, have social distancing. So a lot of people, you know, are thinking twice about co-living and, you know, waiting for a vaccine, waiting for it to be more safe, more clarity on that before they move into it. So that's the choice that I've had to make that's a little bit scary to me and a little bit something I'm debating is like, do I want to move in there in the winter? Do I want to wait till, you know, I can get a vaccine myself and know that I'm, you know, potentially protected, you know, and that sort of stuff. So I've definitely been debating that and thinking about it. And that's kind of the main questions I'm going to ask these co-living space operators is more you know, and I did ask them when I contacted some of them already, you know, what happens if I get sick? You know, what happens if the other residents get sick? You know, how are they protecting us? You know, what are they doing for cleaning? And then what type of interaction can the residents still have? So, yeah. So how, like, what are the interactions like now? Right. So that's, that's what I'm wondering. And that's what I'm so curious about. And that's kind of why, you know, it's a harder time for this industry because they're, you know, they're built on community they're built on interaction and socialization and people living in close quarters you know with each other and the spaces that had longer term leases didn't have a lot of turnover and the ones that had flexibility did have that turnover because people had the option to move back in with 
family, you know, move out on their own again. It was definitely really, really scary. And nobody knew what was going on when, you know, this virus hit America. And I'm sure, you know, same thing for Canada. And, you know, people just, in, in my opinion, looked like they were, you know, questioning, wanting to live in a shared space with other people and really thinking about the benefits and the pros and cons of it. So the industry will keep expanding. It looks, it looks like in terms of building these, but they're now focused more on the private rooms and definitely building them a little more with COVID in mind, uh, you know, that people are going to be looking at and asking those questions. Properties that had more shared living options are kind of reducing that, you know, instead of say having a shared space of four people, they're reducing it to two people and those sorts of things to make it so there's more space between the residents and it's more, you know, safer and, you know, there's more distance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What advice do you have for people looking to transition to this type of living? Really what I've done, that, that would be my advice, is to really see what's out there as a, as a first step. So there's a couple of booking platforms, coliving.com and anyplace.com uh, and Circle Co-Living come to mind that you could uh, you know, be able to find these different co-living operators in different cities. And, you know, that could be a good starting point. And uh, just, you know, looking around on Google, searching your city, so Toronto co-living or, you know, LA co-living, you could find, you know, the co-living spaces on there. Or, you know, just uh, looking around on social media, you know, you could find them through that as well and be able to reach out to the operators through there. The, the first step is to just do some research on co-living and, you know, see if it's right for you. So we've given you, you know, some more details about it in this episode. Uh, you know, but you can go to the different co-living companies' websites, you know, kind of see the, you know, the videos they have, you know, the, go, go on a walkthrough through the space, you know, see what the, what the price is, what's included. And kind of what I did is I built out because I was looking at LA first. I built that kind of my own database of all the companies that are there and compared and contrast the benefits and the price. And I looked at the location uh, that meant a lot to me where they were located in these large urban cities. Uh, in LA, it meant a lot to me because I wanted to be by somewhere where I, where I had good access to transit. I could walk to shops, walk to the grocery store, get my groceries. Uh, I had, you know, some sort of recreation nearby. Find a place that you want to live in and then contact the operator and learn more about who's living there, if they have any, any specific, you know, criteria that they're looking for you know, what the restrictions might be. From there, you'll apply to live in the co-living space. And, uh, you know, you'll have a little bit of an interview process. And then, you know, once you're uh, accepted into the space, you'll have your move-in date. Tell them ahead of time how many months you're looking to move in for and when your move-in date is and stuff. Some might make you move in on the first. Some might be really flexible and let you move in whenever. In, in general, you can plan ahead a few months in advance too for this. So where can people follow your co-living journey? Yeah, so I'm uh, mainly going to be posting on Instagram the updates on this project. And I have a blog as well. So Freedom Co-Living is uh, the Instagram handle and freedomcoliving.com. Um, and, uh, you know, just excited to kind of, you know, have people that have never heard about this learn about it. And, you know, if anybody is interested in living and co-living or has more questions, feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to, you know, put you in touch with people I know uh, in the industry or, you know, help you, uh, you know, personally with kind of, you know, comparing different cities or, you know, coming up with a budget or, 
you know, any, anything and everything relating to, you know, what I've had to go through to live in these co-living spaces, I can share with you and kind of be, you know, your resource. I, I'm not going to, you know, charge anything for that. It's just a service that I'm able to offer, you know, just kind of to give back and promote this industry because I think it's a, you know, a great thing, a great option for people that want to live more affordably and flexibly. And uh, as Gloria mentioned, kind of in the introduction, that's, you know, my mission is to help people live a more location independent lifestyle while working toward their financial independence. So if that sounds like you and you're interested in co-living, then yeah, we should definitely talk and reach out to me. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me, Derek. It was very interesting to learn more about co-living today. Yeah, I'm happy to share it. And thanks for having me uh, on the show. As the aspiring Misf Independent, this is Gloria signing out. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. And if you're using Apple Pods, please toss me five stars. It would help me so, so much. So see you next time. Until then, stay healthy and grow wealthy.